Hello, you're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Jay LaBeouf. Jay is the head of business and corporate development at Descript, an audio and video editing platform that uses voice cloning technology. Jay lectures on media technology and business at Stanford University, Carnegie Mellon, and the University of Michigan. He was featured as a Bloomberg Business Week innovator and interviewed by 60 Minutes, Forbes, Billboard, and was on Alec Baldwin's podcast. We're excited to bring Jay on to talk about how AI will transform the entire field of audio and video production. But before we get into that, Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Oleg. It's really fun to be here and talk to you and the audience. Yeah, well, let's get this thing rolling. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in this business. So I have been actually in the intersection of media, music, technology, and AI for over 20 years. It's one of these times where you've been doing the same thing over and over and over for a long time, and you get really good at it. And finally, somebody actually cares about it. This is a a wonderful time, I would say, to be doing audio and video and AI. Uh, The way I actually got originally started on it is being a cross between an electrical engineer, which is what I studied undergrad, but also a musician. So I'm a lifelong drummer and musician. And you wouldn't think off the top of your head that you could combine those two things. And I didn't until I started spending a lot of time in recording studios, recording with my college band and started seeing all these blinking lights and knobs and all this gear in a modern recording studio and just had this aha moment that indeed you can combine music and technology and AI and the arts and make a creative process even better. So that that kind of aha moment that started for me at the very end of college, over 20 years later and several companies, here I am now doing it for a, a, a podcast and video editing company called Descript. Very cool. I actually have a, not to brag, I'm, uh, it's not what I'm here to do, but a similar background. I did electrical engineering in undergrad and we touched on AI when I was doing that three years ago. Obviously it was a big deal, but not like it is today. What was that like 20 years ago? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, not even close. It's, it's, you would call it AI and it would be, you know, this tiny one class that was mostly for people that were interested in the the mathematics or even like the history of computer science. So uh, to say that it would be anything closely related to what we talk about now is, uh, is, is pretty far fetched where I had my first exposure to machine learning and AI for, for real was at Avid technology. For those who know the music and recording industry, you would know Avid as the creator of pro tools. So Pro Tools is an industry standard for recording, editing, and mixing music and audio. And it's also used for for film and TV. And I was working on that team for about eight years. And about halfway through my tenure there, I joined a team called the Advanced Technology Group. The Advanced Technology Group's mission was to figure out where the recording industry needed to go five plus years in the future. And one of the areas I started focusing on was applying machine learning techniques specifically like discriminative AI and classifiers towards helping musicians and engineers get uh, get a lot better and save them time in the recording and mixing process. And of course, happy to talk about that more, but that was really the first time I was, I was using it. It was like the 2007 timeframe. 
It's really cool. And it's cool how you kind of got to like be there <laughs> at, at the very early innings and then in school, right? In academia, kind of study yep. the idea of it. And then kind of, it sounds like, you know, you went into industry, got to watch it grow. And uh, maybe the end goals are actually kind of similar to today where, you know, we want to figure out how we can use these tools to make to make the product better and uh, save time. So talk more about those projects that you were working on and, and how that brought you, I guess, to to your role today at Descript. Sure. So, you know, my, my first my first AI machine learning experience, as I was saying, was on the Pro Tools team where we were trying to teach computers how to listen to sound. And specifically, we were trying to teach computers musical instrument sounds. And for anybody who's been to a live concert recently, like not a lot of us have been to recording studios. So I always use the live concert analogy. You look at the giant mixing console that's always kind of in the the back middle of the club or the stadium or the amphitheater or wherever you are. And you can see there's like 32, 64 knobs on there. And, and it, like it's huge. And it's huge for a reason because every single microphone has its own individual fader knob and slider. And every single one of those has to be not only manually labeled, but manually set up. And so one of the problems I was trying to solve was, could we actually teach these mixing boards to just listen to what was plugged into it? And if you plug an electric guitar into it, one, recognize that, oh, I hear an electric guitar. And two, I hear an electric guitar. So let me set up all of the signal chain. And what that means is the EQ, the compression, the reverb, the, the effects, set up all the stuff that's typically used on an electric guitar and then let a human kind of fine tune it from there. So we were trying to do a lot of that manual work that just gets in the way of someone's creativity and you know what they're trying to do for their art and just, just remove it and make the process faster. And what started there as trying to do that on a small scale of problems for musical instruments turned into me leaving and doing a startup called Imagine Research. Imagine Research was a startup that focused on a much bigger problem, which is to teach computers how to listen to everything from musical instruments to sound effects to real world sounds, and then also understand things like, hey, not only is this a piece of music, but this is a here's the tempo, here's the key signature, here's where the bars and the beats are, here are the instruments that are in there. So throughout all this time, that next startup I did was focusing on a broader set of like human hearing and understanding. And then once we got that working, that startup was acquired in 2012 by a company called Isotope, who is trying to wait for it, teach computers how to listen to musical instruments and help out the recording and mixing process. So there's this theme going on of like, increasingly, we've been able to teach computers how to listen to audio understand what they're listening to and make decisions to enable musicians, creatives, and podcasters to just work more efficiently. And this comes full circle because I'm at Descript now. Uh, Descript's a, uh, an app that allows you to edit video and audio as easily as editing the text. So we transcribe all the audio automatically. We improve the sound automatically through AI. We there's like 25 different things I can describe here, including the voice cloning that you mentioned in my intro. But the goal is to really just help the creative process and just make it a smoother experience for everybody. And it all starts based on a computer understanding what you have put into it. So what is this file? Is this speech? Is this music? 
what is the transcription of this content and taking it from there? That's quite a journey. So let's get into the, the main topic today, transforming this whole field of podcast and audio. Can you explain what the difference between like discriminative and generative AI is? Sure. So the discriminative systems are trying to classify things into buckets. So the example I gave at the beginning was listening to a sound and determine which of maybe 30 different musical instruments does the sound fall into, or is it in the 31st category, which might be other? We have absolutely no, no idea what this is. And um, these systems are really good and have become inc incredibly accurate at understanding what individual, like, and individual characteristics are that define what a sound is. And they do that through looking, looking at the boundaries between different sounds. So again, I'm going to use all my examples are going to be audio based, but like the difference between an electric and an acoustic guitar, most obviously would be one sounds like it has a lot more distortion on there. And another one sounds like it has a woodier characteristic. So the discriminative AI is just going to learn what makes an electric guitar an electric guitar and be able to tell the difference between that and an acoustic guitar. The generative AI is actually going to be able to understand these sounds, but actually be able to generate new outputs based on the data it's trained on. So it can not only recognize the patterns, but it can generate new patterns that are within that original mold. So the best example I can give you there is actually straight from what we do at Descript. We have a technology called Overdub, which is AI voice cloning. And the AI voice cloning can allow anyone, and, and I should say only that person, to clone their own voice with just a few sentences of themselves speaking. And the way we're able to do that is because a generative model has been trained on thousands and thousands of hours of human speech. So that generative model deeply understands what it is about human speech. And so when you prompt it, just like an LLM, when you prompt it with with, with new material and say, hey, here's a new voice, learn this one too. It's very easy to generalize because it's already done the hard work in figuring out what human speech sounds like and what human speech, speaking patterns are like. And so with that, now you can have generative AI and, uh, and a generative model that can, with very little new information, create entirely synthesized material that didn't exist before. That's really exciting. And um, I, I'm just curious, like, how, how are these being used today? Like, let's start with dis discriminative and generative AI. How, how are those being used? A great concrete example in the world of podcast production. So let's say we're all, we're done editing this podcast, or we're done recording this podcast. Let me start over that sentence. Oleg, thank you for editing this piece. All right. So let's imagine we just finished recording this podcast. First thing we're going to do is we're going to take the audio file, like an hour long audio file, and we can bring it into an app like Descript. And I had mentioned Descript is a text based audio editor. That means that the first thing we need to do is transcribe the hour long file. So in order to have an accurate transcription, you really need to know who is speaking at what point. So a discriminative model actually will go through and use speaker diarization so it will try to identify where is Jay speaking in here versus where is Oleg speaking and drop those as like 
time code markers into the program. So that way, when a transcription comes back, because the transcription is going to give us just a long list of sentences and words, we can now align which sentences are said by Jay, which sentences are said by Oleg. And now we have a rich transcript annotated by who is speaking and when they are speaking. So that's a discriminative model. And, and again, the generative model would be, hey, Jay actually forgot to thank our sponsors at the end of his podcast interview. So rather than having to go back into the studio, stand in front of the microphone, get it to sound exactly the same as it did during his interview, well, we can just use Overdub to create Jay's Overdub voice and then type in the thank you to our sponsors in plain text. And then it'll render a sentence that I have never said before in my life in exactly my voice. That's so cool. Cause especially like to anyone who's had that experience of trying to recreate your voice, like sometimes you'll sound different, like day to day. So it seems like a handy tool in, in the podcasting industry. Are there any other interesting ways like AI is being used by Descript or, or just uh, in podcast and audio production today that maybe you're excited about? Oh my goodness. So one of the ways I'm, I'm very excited is in the way that it's helping all of us. And by this, I mean, literally every single person who is listening to this podcast is capable of creating a professional sounding and professional looking podcast. And now, what do I mean by that? Uh, first of all, we have a technology called Studio Sound. And what Studio Sound is, again, it's another generative model, which has been trained on thousands and thousands of hours of broadcast quality, single speaker microphone samples. So think tons of NPR recordings, where it's just one person talking to a nice mic in a great studio. We use that as a model, and we basically say, great, this is what a podcast interviewer mic should sound like across a whole range of human speaking. So what we can do is when... Let's imagine, Oleg, you know, you didn't have access to a nice mic. You had to take this and you're recording from your MacBook Pro mic in a reverberant kitchen. Well, it just sounds unprofessional. And we all we're, we're very perceptive, even more so than visuals. We're very perceptive to poor sounding audio, like like during the pandemic when everybody was just like, you know, TV news and, and TV shows, we're just doing all these interviews. We're okay with like Zoom quality video and weird camera placements. But when the audio sucks, that just screams like someone didn't think through this or it's very unprofessional. So there's technologies like Studio Sound. And I'm, I'm using Descript as an example because I work here and I'm proud of the work that our research team has done. But you know, there's other uh, other companies that do similar things that allow you to transform any audio file into what sounds like an enhanced production quality, like like this should be on NPR type microphone. And the same thing happens with video as well. So, you know, we have like Hollywood style green screen removal, not the the gimmicky stuff on on Zoom that sometimes removes an arm and your hair and your hat and like this is like real high quality stuff that runs on countless GPUs in the cloud that removes your background and allows you to replace it with higher quality images or video. And then, oh, like I'll give you, I'll give you my, my favorite one. I actually <laughs> I used this this morning. It is AI eye gaze correction. 
So think about you need to record a video and you have notes. So you're going to try to put the notes as close to the top of the screen as you can. So it's near your webcam. But if you're going to, if you're going to record, we all know what it looks like when someone is very clearly reading off a script. You can see their eyes tracking back and forth. You can see them looking off slightly off axis from where the camera actually is. So you know they're reading off a script and they're, they're less genuine. And we have millions of years of human evolution, which is just based on like, okay, rapport with another human means eye contact. So this person maybe isn't as trustworthy. We don't treat their message as well. I needed to get a video out there. I didn't have a lot of time to memorize a script. Uh, I don't always carry a teleprompter with me. So I knocked out this video where I recorded, I read off the script. And the final thing I did is I put on AI eye gaze correction. And what it actually does is it looks at the center of your eyes and where you were looking and then frame by frame in the video, rotates your eyeballs in their sockets and makes them look at the camera. But when you blink, not a problem. It cut, you know, it, it goes back to your natural blinking motion. When you look subtly to the left, that's okay. It just rotates your eyeballs subtly in that direction. And if you totally look away from the camera, that's fine. The AI is smart enough to know that you don't have eyeballs on your cheek. Don't put them there. And, and this is just like the type of thing where when creators, and all of us are creators, all of us have a message to tell. Once you know these techniques exist and that these tools are out there, we really have no excuse other than sheer laziness to not look good and sound good on all of the material we put out there. So it's kind of like a, I know we're early in the, uh, in the discussion for me to have a call to action, but really for all of you that are thinking about using, like you want to get more familiar with, with AI or you've had it on your list to start doing more video on YouTube or on LinkedIn or on TikTok, you have no excuse. Just, just start using the tools that are out there, play around with them and between AI, AI gaze correction, background removal, studio sound, automatic translation, like we have tools we have never had before. It's really exciting. And I love the examples of fixing eye gaze. And even earlier, I think you mentioned creating audio from a small sample of text. With those in mind, I, I don't want to leave anything on the table here. Uh, do you think that generative AI is or will be capable of creating new audio experiences uh, while also maintaining that like studio quality that people obviously can pick up on. The intention of a lot of generative AI creator creator focused companies like Descript is to eliminate the tedious work that stands between ideas that we have in our head and its expression as audio or video that we share out. And really, our goal is to allow people to focus on their storytelling, focus on the craft of getting their message across rather than having to learn complicated tools. So I think about Pro Tools. Pro Tools is still the industry standard for music, audio, recording, and editing, and mixing. And if you're going to learn it from scratch, it's going to take you weeks of doing tutorial projects, looking at YouTube videos, looking at how your favorite creators get their favorite sound effects, and then probably months, if not years, to hone your craft. Well, now we actually have tools that can allow, first of all, professionals to get higher quality results faster. And what that means if you are a professional, like if I'm a professional 
podcast producer, I might be able to actually spend more time editing my story and more time conducting interviews on my story rather than having to like transcribe and review and learn how to use Pro Tools and just all this manual drudgery that no one has ever wanted to do. We all just want to tell our stories faster. So for professionals, you can focus on your craft and you can focus on storytelling and you can focus on quality because you have tools that allow you to work faster. And for people that are just getting started, now we have a new quality bar. Like the new quality bar is like you're expected to sound almost professional because the tools allow you to get there. So like you have like a much lower barrier to entry. You can just start using the tools and sound good. And then it's up to you. You know, who knows? You you might be a horrible storyteller or you might be a, a really bad question asker and your interviews go nowhere. That's a different story. You can, you can, you can get better at that and you can use chat GPT to figure out how to ask better questions and, you know, do your research. But, um, I just, I just love how, it is not manual anymore and it doesn't require years of study on these very arcane complicated tools to look good and sound good so it's very exciting obviously it sounds like you believe that this is going to open up many new avenues people are going to be able to be more creative because they're spending more time on those creative tasks and less on the manual drudgery say these tools get adopted and and we're looking back five years from now, like what impact do you think the generative AI tools will have on the work for podcasters and producers and just the industry in general, if you have thoughts on that? So I think what we're going to see is we're going to actually see more higher quality content. What's going on right now in, you know, this year in particular is just this explosion of AI generated content that is, almost completely synthetically generated in terms of text and then maybe with an AI voice put in there to kind of crank it out. That is going to cause us all to become completely saturated with content and then seek out like curation again. So where curation comes in is like we're going to follow a fewer number of people that we trust, a fewer number of brands and studios and agencies that we know create high quality material And because they have tools at their disposal to do higher quality work and work faster, they're going to be able to put out more productions at like a better quality level. So it's a mix of pessimism and optimism. Pessimism that we're all going to have to suffer through a lot of AI generated crap for the near future in order to all feel the pain, in order for creators to say, this is not the path forward. Putting out more is not better, but uh, it's actually putting out more higher quality content. And that's that's also what Descript is finding from surveys of all of our top creators, that they're using it for idea generation. They're using it to produce kind of the same amount of material, but make it higher quality. Are there any other ways that generative AI might enhance creators' creativity and productivity, or is it mostly just freeing up time for them to spend more time on those things? Well, the the, the creativity is is a really good point, of course, as well. Like, I think about some videos. Uh, I, I again, this this video that I mentioned earlier that I had to I did knock it out in a pretty short time frame, and the way I put it together is I freeformed the script that I wanted to do. And I just 
put that all in notion of all the key points I wanted to hit. And I tried to write it as conversational as I could, put it into ChatGPT and said, I need to deliver this as a video monologue. I need it to be three minutes in length, assuming that I'm going to read it at a you know normal conversational pace. And you know I want you to structure it and maximize it for storytelling potential while being you know serious, mostly serious with a little witty and charm. You know I can't remember exactly my exact prompt, but it was pretty close. Paste in my messy Notion doc, and I get out this like masterfully edited script. Sometimes there were words in there that I was I would totally never use in a million years, but I was able to then I look at that spot check it and say. Great. Thank you, ChatGPT. You basically helped me organize what was in my head into something that's a little more fluid. And even better, I asked it to generate some chapter titles for me because in my videos, whenever I'm going on a new topic, I'll have, you know, a full screen, full screen screen with the chapter that appears on there for about three seconds. So I wanted to use Descript to just have it generate those chapter markers for me. So um, I accepted all of the recommended chapter markers, uh, some of which were hysterically bad, but still very funny to do. And like, it just became like a good writing partner. And I, could I have done this all myself? Totally. Absolutely. I, and I, I trust my own creative instincts more than I, I trust AI at this point. But I look at it as a companion for, you know, a companion, uh, the, the co-pilot metaphors totally overdone, but like a, a creative producer, you know, when, when, when you and I are in a studio, Oleg, writing a track, we're going to riff off each other. And sometimes I'm going to give you ideas and you're going to like, Jay, nope, that's not the direction I want to go with this. And sometimes I'm going to give you such a bad idea that you're like, Oh, that's bad, but let's take it this way. And that's how I am using AI right now is to like, take, take ideas, help me as a writing partner, structure my really messy information into a neat organized framework and just, you know, allow me to be more consistent with my output. That's awesome. And like listening to it as somebody who kind of puts out content, I, I can totally relate. Really cool to hear how you're kind of using these things. Let's focus on the listeners for, for audio. How do you think generative AI will impact the way listeners experience podcasts? Will it make things more personalized and immersive as an experience for listeners? So the, the personalization thing is, is super exciting. And I'm, I'm a little out of my depth here. This is where if you have on somebody in the audio advertising space, for example, uh, I know, I know, and I work with a, a lot of people in that space and for them, the future of audio advertisements. So ads within podcasts are going to be completely generated on the fly based on that one specific user. So if you're listening to Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history, you're going to hear a completely different ad than what I am going to hear. Why? Well, we have all the information. You know my listening habits. You know what shows I'm listening to. You know the time of day I'm in. You know the geography, the location, the weather, all this information. And so it is often hysterical when I get presented with an incessant amount of Casper sleep mattresses. It's like, I'm never going to buy a Casper mattress. I don't need a mattress. I'm very happy with my mattress. This is just money being shotgun wasted on a huge audience in hopes that it'll return some ROI, but a dynamically generated ad based on the person's interest who is listening to it. Of course, it's going to be more effective because you know what? I'm in the market for a new iPhone case. So if some small provider wants to 
you know, tell me about how great their iPhone case is, well, that'd be great. And, you know, if they want to tell me where to get it in the San Francisco Bay Area, I would probably be open to that message right now. So in the audio ad space, it's like a very clear way that you can combine everything we know about people and text-based generation through LLMs and voice cloning. And the fact that, you know, this isn't a this isn't Siri or Alexa reading you the voice track. This is literally any voice known to mankind that can be kind of generated on the fly. So it could be a, a voice style that might resonate most with you. You mentioned shotgun advertising, like so much of that advertising effort kind of gets wasted just by like, it, it feels like they're just shoving ads out. And how often do the listeners just you know, as soon as you hear that uh, familiar advertising sound, you just go skip, skip, skip and get to get back to your podcast. It just feels like a, like a missed opportunity that'll definitely need to grow. But going back to the, 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 the possibility of, of things being scary, like what are some of the challenges and concerns that need to be addressed as this generative AI becomes more widely used and adopted? Well, w- one of the things that w- we do need is we need the the creative tools companies to really be transparent about one w- what are the ethics around usage of the tools so in the case of descript you can only create your own voice clone so i can't upload audio from from you oleg into descript and say create me oleg's voice clone you can't do that because we believe that your voice is yours and yours alone. And you should be the one who decides whether you want to use it to generate material that you've never said, or if you want to delegate permission for that to your team. So uh, a great example of that and something that is the opposite of scary, it's inspiring, is how Malcolm Gladwell and his team at Pushkin Industries uses Descript's overdub technology. When they're assembling an episode of Revisionist History, it has a, a large amount of Malcolm's narrative at the beginning and to stitch together like various segments. And all of that is done in Google Docs. So all the text is there, but they don't actually know how the episode is going to sound unless Malcolm goes in and reads it out. And so what they used to have to do is do a table read. So if you're familiar with with, uh, with how TV shows work and, and, um, and that process, the table read is when all the characters who are part of either a podcast or TV show or a play, you sit around a table, you have a script, and then you just read through the script. And just through that process, you can hear that certain things don't sound right, or that one character is just talking way too long. And what they'll do with revisionist history, they used to have Malcolm come in, he'd read his lines, then somebody would basically play the tape of what the interview would sound like, or you know what the audio quote is that he'd be setting up and they'd make adjustments to it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a waste of Malcolm's time because now everybody can write the text in Descript. They have examples of what the quotes and the interviews are. Those are already in Descript. So they're basically, instead of writing in Google Docs and needing Malcolm to come into the studio, they're doing it all in Descript. And then all the text that's being written is assigned to Malcolm Gladwell's overdub voice. So you can hit the space bar And you can hear the text that you just typed in Malcolm's voice. Malcolm gave permission to his production team to do this. He can revoke it at any time, but this allows their production team to work 
so much faster. It saves Malcolm from having to come into the studio. And it also allows them to update editorial mistakes down the line. So if he mis, you know, misquotes a date or something like that, the team can actually just go in, double click on the date and regenerate it. And you know, you're just taking someone who is incredibly busy and incredibly talented and giving their team a superpower to work faster and, and more effectively. That, that, that's, that's actually one of the really exciting things I'm seeing done. And it's like, it's the same example that I gave with the personalized audio ads, but now it's being done to enhance creativity and make a, you know, a production crew work a lot faster. Let's start talking about video and how generative AI might transform that area. So in the same way that we can create engaging and dynamically personalized audio experiences with video, you know, we, we were talking about creating a digital Malcolm Gladwell voice. That's cool. But we can also create almost photorealistic. And I say almost photorealistic because they, they still look a little creepy, but they're getting really close to creating photorealistic video avatars. And with those photorealistic video avatars, you can now deploy yourself or your team's image or likeness or even a completely synthetic one to create the video for you. So let me go back to the example I gave uh, where I had to crank out a video earlier this morning. I worked with ChatGPT to kind of create what the narrative was. Uh, it was my choice to go in and turn on, you know, turn on a nice camera and read off the script and then have the AI correct my eye gaze for me and kind of, you know, fix up my lighting and stuff like that. A far simpler technology would be to actually just have Jay's video avatar of which there's, there's probably dozens of companies at this point that do this really well. So there's, there's no point in me name dropping because there's like a new one every day, but I could have my video avatar go out there and basically just read my lines for me. And it's all rendered faster than real time. So if it's a three minute video, that video is rendered in you know maybe 30 seconds. The other cool part is now my video is ready. It's ready in 30 seconds. And if I want to, with a few more clicks of the mouse, I can have it translated into 30 or 50 different languages. So now you're combining the facts that, hey, I actually don't know how to speak Mandarin, but my AI avatar can speak any language because it's just frames that are rendered one frame at a time. So a different AI model is just going to do the text translation for me. The voice AI model is going to translate it and my voice and make my voice speak native Mandarin. And then it's just going to be powered by the text translation. And seriously, Oleg, like a year ago, this was like science fiction. Like this, this, this company probably wouldn't have gotten funding because it was just almost unrealistic that it could work this well. And now this, this is a workflow. I'm like showing creators how to, how to use. It's so easy and inspiring with a side of, of, of scary because like you could also write a big for loop around it. And now you have an ad agency or you have a, a, a marketing agency that is creating thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of videos out there. Um, you know, Hey, I can, I'm not going to judge what a business wants to do with our tools, but I'm more inspired by like what an individual creator wants to do or what a, a production studio wants to do. And it makes you really going back to the point of you should own your own voice. You should own your own avatar as well. 
What about like video production? Uh, what's what's promising in terms of uh, AI and video production tools? So on the on the video production side, um, certainly I'm going to go back to the back to the classics in a way. Text based editing is something that is it's you know pioneered by Descript five years ago, and we're now getting to the place that mature tools like the the sincerest form of flattery is when a very mature and respected tool like Adobe Premiere also introduces text based editing as a paradigm for users to work and. You know, we're all we're all used to editing text as a way of communicating, and it's just a lower barrier to entry and faster way of working. So, you know, I can't miss that one because so many tools still rely upon waveform editing or you know looking at the individual frames of a video and having to edit like that. And I mean, come on, this is going to be an hour long conversation between the two of us. It's going to be much faster for an editor to just see the words and the pauses and the, the keywords and just edit that way. Going back, the, the fact that any aspect of that video, <laughs> including like where my eyes are looking, that can be dynamically generated. Companies like Runway are incredibly inspiring for text to video or image to video, with like they're working on now. So... You know, I think when you start with video that has some human element of it, like it's really me on screen, but then I can dynamically generate all of the other things and the backgrounds and the textures and maybe, you know, other cast members that I need in here. That's really inspiring. And how about some of the challenges of using generative AI for making video? Like it all sounds so promising. Yeah. So it is is very promising. It requires a lot of iteration to get what you actually are looking for. And it's, it's the same for people that have played around with, um, with, with the text, text to image models where you might have in your mind's eye, like, like my, my three-year-old son has this recurring dream that he always tells me about where he dreams about a big blue dog eating cheese and they're driving a fire truck together. And I don't understand where this comes from. So I've tried so many ways to, to help realize like, all right, show me big blue dogs eating cheese, driving a fire truck. And like you get trucks that are eating trucks with cheese wheels. And you just, there's so many ways in which this goes wrong and you just really can't coax it into the right direction. Now you combine that like, well, if you generate the raw elements and then give them to a, a talented designer using something like Photoshop, now you're using raw materials generated by the AI, but put into the skilled hands of a designer, a graphic designer in particular, and then they can realize that, that, that dream and that vision much, much faster. And this is a real world example, actually. I've tried to do this myself. My wife is a very talented artist and graphic designer. What she can do with Photoshop will not be replaced by AI anytime soon. But AI is giving her capabilities that would have taken her tens of hundreds of hours potentially to realize without having it. So it's just kind of like a bionic super arm for her creative design career. How about back to ethics? How can we ensure that generative AI is being used to create uh, ethical and responsible videos? So again, what, what we need to do is only use creative tools, first of all, that are clear about their, 
their ethics policy and that you understand what they are. But second of all, um, you as the end user of the product, you know, there's there was this expression with uh, the first generation of social media that, you know, if you can't if you can't figure out the if you can't figure out how they're uh, monetizing the product and if it's free, then you are the product. So with a lot of tools right now, you need to I can't believe I'm saying this, but like read the terms of service or at least read the frequently asked questions or just send a quick note to their support team to figure out what is being done with the training material. Because imagine you are playing around Oleg with creating a video avatar of yourself. And next thing you know, you start seeing your image and likeness used to do advertisements that you did not consent to. Well, you might be unwittingly contributing to a company's data set and training models. And that might be perfectly fine for you, or it might be incredibly creepy for you. So I think it's really important, first of all, that everybody as end users understands how their data is being used and is appropriately opting in or opting out. And second of all, um, if you are a creator, so if you are a creator that is you know, participating in, let's say, a, a stock media site or your materials being sold in a marketplace, you're going to want to make sure that you talk to that marketplace before you upload content or distribute content to figure out what can be done with it. And if something is done with it, will you be compensated? Or can you opt out of something be done, being done with that? Like That's a very hot topic right now in the photo space with a lot of stock content sites realizing that the hundreds of thousands of high quality images and rich, rich metadata that they have on those images is incredible, invaluable training, training material. Like that training material is worth more than the companies themselves, like the, the company's actual business model of stock photography. So the artists who contribute to that really have responsibility to, you know, not just like raise their arms in the air and scream and yell about like, how are you making money off my stuff? But just understand what's going on with their material. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give one final analogy by saying, you know, I taught a music business class at Stanford for like six, seven, eight years. And we would always make sure that we would dedicate an entire week for students to understand their publishing rights and their recording rights and just understand copyright. And it is incredibly complex, but it is incredibly important because if you are creating a creative output and you're putting your blood, sweat, tears, creativity into this thing, you really need to understand how it is protected and how it's going to be monetized. And in the music industry, a lot of the music students I work with get it and they get it from very early on that this is theirs, this is their livelihood. And uh, I think we're going to be seeing a resurgence of this across video, across text, across photo, and, and certainly music too. So as we're kind of seeing generative AI come on the scene, and obviously everyone's very excited about it, how can, you know, how can people start to prepare for the impact uh, that generative AI might have on their field? The number one thing I would recommend is that you go out and you try out all the tools that are available. One of my favorite things to do, sure, I'll look at YouTube and I'll look at creators who are going through, here's 10 AI video editing tools that'll transform your workflow. And I'll go through and I'll watch that. But don't just watch it. Immediately when they're done, make sure to note the ones that they're trying out and just just go try it out. Sign up for a free account, 
try it out, experiment, you very quickly will find that these are single trick, party trick type tools that do one thing and only one thing reasonably well, but then, you know, it's not really for your workflow, but you're going to build this catalog of like, all right, here's something that can turn my face into a dump truck. Awesome. Cool. I'll just save that for a rainy day. And I know what its limitations are, when to use it and how to use it. Just try out as much as you can. Also sign up for some newsletters. I have never subscribed to more, more generative AI newsletters. There's one this week in, or sorry, today in generative AI. It's a creative name, but like it is really good at summarizing everything going on in audio and video. There's one called Ben's Bytes that is kind of like my daily briefing on all things generative AI. I try out most of the tools that are in these newsletters. I make a lot of time on, you know, late at night just to play around because, hey, this this is going to be our future. So we have to get to know it. Absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you, Jay. Before we go, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you, learn a little bit more about Descript? And uh, if you have any more calls to action, now's the time. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me here. For those that want to follow along with, with my work or anything that I'm writing, I am on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. So just look up my name. You'll find me there. And then for Descript, speaking of tools that you should be trying out, there's a free version. It's at Descript, Descript.com. Look in the upper right. You can just sign up for a free account. Use the web version. No need to download anything and start playing around with all the AI tools. Create your own voice clone. Transcribe audio. It's super fun and easy to use. And media production is now entering a phase where if you can dream it, it can happen. And you don't need an expensive studio or years of training. You just need a laptop and a backspace key. So go out there, try out lots of tools. Don't break anything and uh, be responsible, everybody. All right. We're going to end the show there. Right after I say, I have myself tried Descript and I will say this, the the text-to-speech feature, it's like mind-blowing when you can hear yourself say things that you haven't... Amazing. Well, yeah, it's it's crazy. You say things that you haven't said. I had a hard time saying that because it's just like sounds weird but it'll make you talk just based on what you type in and, and i definitely need to go back and check out what new tools you guys got going on so thanks for that recommendation i, I love that if you liked our show listeners please subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and please leave us a rating jay thanks again for joining the show we appreciate your time and your insights thank you oleg <laughs>